0: Welcome to Woman On, I'm Maxie McCoy, your host, and this season we're talking to the women and people who are making 2020 actually somewhat inspiring, even though it doesn't really feel like that right now. But if you think these episodes are all there is, you couldn't be more wrong. Each episode comes with a free worksheet so you can self-reflect on what you're hearing and how it relates to your own life. Then if you want, you can go way deeper with a collective season pass. What that means is that you get to work with small groups. I like to call them like episode study groups. So you can actually apply what you're listening to here to your own life with people you trust. You're probably going to love it. You can check out everything and then some at womanoncollective.com. All right. My next guest is so inspiring. I think I say that every time, but this one is, is all of that and then some, especially with what we are experiencing in this country right now. She is Amanda Littman. She's the co-founder and executive director of Run for Something, which recruits and supports young progressive candidates. Does that sound like maybe it's you? It might be after this conversation, because if you have ever just been so pissed about what you're seeing in this country, in your city, in the state, this episode is probably going to help you figure out what to do with those feelings. Uh, But just beware you might leave this conversation feeling like you are going to run for something. And that is sort of the whole point. I remember, you probably remember this too, the, the tears that I cried when Hillary Clinton lost. 2016, more than anything about remembering where I was that night, I remember the mascara splotches on my pillowcase. Now, I want you to imagine that, then I want you to multiply it by two years of working 100 hours a week on that campaign, and then not accomplishing your life stream in the most public way possible. Yeah, that's what our next guest, Amanda, experienced herself. Luckily, she turned her heartbreak to hope, and now she's supporting tens of thousands of people who want to get involved in running for state and local offices. As of September, 2020, listen to this. Her organization is supporting 623 campaigns running for local office. Of the 500 and plus young people that they have on the ballot, more than half are women. More than half are BIPOC. So you know what I say to that? Bye, old white politics, guys. Bye. (laughs) What Amanda is doing is so inspiring to me because personally, I know I spend way too much time bitching. Bitching about what feels like my city going to shambles, about my frustrations on everything from women's rights to racial justice to the lack of gun reform. And I don't spend nearly enough time compared to how much I'm bitching actually doing something. So when I read Amanda's book, Run for Something, I saw there was this very manageable path forward, not only for me, but for everyone in the ways that we can make local change. So if you're looking to this next election and you're feeling sick and anxious about the weeks ahead, I hope this conversation gives you hope. I know that it will because there actually is a blueprint for real and meaningful change. And you just might be the one who can get us there. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Amanda. You said in your book, don't make yourself the story, which is what you call Mm -hmm. rule number one of working on a campaign. Mm
1: -hmm. Have you found
0: it hard to go from, you know, it being embedded in your DNA to be behind the scenes and, and propping people up to having to really go into the hot seat with, your book with your business, run for something. Yeah. Um, by all of the names, has that been difficult in terms of transition for you?
1: It has, and I think it's been difficult in a couple of different ways. One is that my deliverables, like what work is has changed so much. You know every yeah. job I've had before, work looked like writing emails, it looked like fundraising. it looked like you know managing a team, which it still does. Um, but it was really like clear product that I was responsible for. And then I delivered and that was like end of the concrete task. Yep. Now my job is to promote a mission, to manage a team, to enable a team, to do a really good job, to raise money for that team. Um, but there is no, there's no product and that yeah. often feels very frustrating. It's taken me a long time to realize that like, yeah, when I spend all day just talking to people, that's work. It is. And it is
0: the, yeah, it's the product, you know, you, in what you just said, Amanda, in terms of, you know, the mission, right. All of these things that you're creating with run for something, Mm -hmm. you know, the business, the book, the podcast, and you talk about your mission. Can you tell us a little bit about that mission? But one of the things I really want to tee in on is you said, you know, keeping your mission first actually is very hard. So I want to know more about that. What makes it hard?
1: Well, so Run for Some Things mission, and my personal mission, is to help young people run for local office across the country, especially focusing on people who aren't traditionally seen as politicians. So young women, young people of color, um, people with untraditional backgrounds. Oh, there's my dog barking in the door. So the mission is to help people who aren't usually seen in politics feel like they have a voice and then give them an entry point not just say you belong here but actually help them get um, in the door in the first place think about the other projects i do the podcast the book interviews and you know, stuff like this it's in service of that mission the more that yeah. i'm able to talk about what we're doing you know every time i do a press hit or talk or or, yeah. or you know go in front of a room full of people yes i enjoy it it's fun and <laughs> I then hear or see from our signups that like people signed up to run for office, people signed up to volunteer, someone gave us money. You talk a lot about
0: the impetus of all of this post the 2016 election, you know, there are, there was one person in particular, you know, who came to you asking, where do I turn to get involved, to run to start changing this from the inside, but what are the entry points that are just really difficult for all of us to wrap our heads around when we're saying like, I want change, but then we're not doing anything about it.
1: You know, for for us, the focus is how do you run for office? How do you actually get into leadership? And there's yeah. a whole bunch of logistical hurdles before you can even think about what does it mean to be a candidate, including mm-hmm. what office do you run for? How much does it cost? Are you, especially for young people, are you going to be living in the same place for the next couple of years, Uh, especially for people who might be planning on having kids? How does that factor into your decision? What is your job like? Do you have your finances in order? There's just a lot of logistics that people sort of need to to navigate before they can even get into the question of like, is this a sacrifice I'm willing to make? And is this an identity I want to take on? Mm -hmm. I think the thing that I have found to be the most interesting about the journey from citizen or voter or person to candidate to elected official is that it's really an identity shift. And you don't become it. You know, nobody is born a political candidate. You become Mm -hmm. a political candidate by running for office. It's not like art or like writing. You're not born a writer. You become a writer by writing or by an artist, by doing art. It's the same. Isn't it so interesting? By doing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like I've never thought about politics as an identity shift, but you're so right. Like I remember it took me a long time to own the identity of being a writer, which is... (laughs) My first love. It's what I've always done. And what is that? Is that just imposter syndrome? Is it like, specifically with the people that you're working with in politics, what makes that identity shift so hard? And is there any pre-work any of us can do who are like, maybe I, maybe I am cut out for this? Well,
1: I think part of it is that for so many of us, we've never seen someone like us Oh, <laughs> Sadie hates it when I get so mad about this. We've uh, never seen someone who looks like Anchor. us in office before. Yeah. You know, if you, especially if you've never seen a candidate who has your background or your skin color or your um, gender identity or your, your resume line. Mm. Um, you're just, you're not familiar. It's, it feels like you don't belong because you've never seen someone like you yeah. who shows you you belong. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. Is how can we tell the stories? And if you're thinking... How, can someone like me run? The answer is probably, and someone like you has. Um, yeah. The other piece that I have found to be so interesting about our work is that we did a survey after 2018. And one of the things that candidates told us is that the biggest value out of our endorsement was yes, the press and yes, the support mm-hmm. and yes, the like connections to other candidates, you know, a whole bunch of like the physical yeah. things, but also the validation that they're a candidate, that they're doing a good job it's like a stamp of approval that they have made. They're doing things the right way and because we're usually the first endorsers. We're the first ones giving them that stamp of credibility or that certification. And yeah. I think yeah. that validation is really helpful.
0: It, it Yeah. It's it, probably to the candidate and to the public. Um, yeah. It's so, it's so true. And I, you know, I, I wonder, and I'm curious, you know, you being so embedded in this is why, why when there's so many young people, people in general who want change, who are asking constantly, how do I get involved? How do I do more? How do I take this anger and do something with it? Why is the hurdle? And when I was reading your book, obviously called Run For Something also, um, I was just like, fuck, I need to give this to so many people who are actually very cut out for this because it makes the whole thing manageable and digestible. And like, yeah, like, why wouldn't I go run? But why is that so difficult? Why can't we get to the, to the option of like, yes, me, I am a person who can go run for a local office?
1: Well, I think it's really worth pointing out. The structure is set up to be hard. It is not mm. set up for, for like normal people, real people to be able to enter it. It is intentionally yeah. difficult and confusing in the rules, the mechanics, the the unwritten rules of like how many signatures you need or who's the right person to talk to—that is meant to keep normal people out. Yeah, um, I don't mean normal in any like denigrating Just, way. I mean, then like nope, yep, like non-life <laughs> Um It's meant to be hard. So when you approach this and you you like encounter that obstacle, yeah. it's not hard because you're an idiot or because like you are incapable. It's hard because it's hard yeah and once you actually dig in it is not that, not that hard it is at it is the same time it is intentionally structurally uh, difficult but the mechanics are not the mechanics yeah. are talking to people building relationships and getting people to show up to vote and the yeah. ways that you actually do that are not hard it takes time and money and people but it's not like engineering or uh, rocket science or like brain surgery Mm-mm. you don't need special training beyond Right. Being a human who can listen and engage is with empathetic.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting going through everything that you broke down about running and, you know, the perspective I had as someone who has been leading communities of creative women, entrepreneurial women, women in business. I'm like, If you've done any of that, you can do this time, people, money, everything that you just said. It's the same thing that you need when you're building networks of people in your career, when you're building the money for the business that you're launching. Like there were just so many parallels that I thought were really beautifully repurposed. And one of the things that I loved that you were talking about is like, you know, don't run for Congress, run for city council make it small, this kind of almost like Operation Unsexy. And I'm curious, it, that mentality of really breaking it down and making it small, why is that so important, especially in diversifying who we're seeing as as elected officials?
1: Well, there are more than half a million elected offices in the country, and only 535 half? of them are Congress.
0: <laughs> half a million. Wait, like- break those numbers down for me one more time, because when I saw that, I was like, Half a million people have an opportunity to make change. That's
1: so many people. You know, 535 members of Congress, 435 in the House, 100 in the Senate, yeah. you your president, your vice president, you have 50 governors, another 50 lieutenant governors. I believe almost every state has one. Maybe there's another 100 to 200 statewide elected, mm-hmm. like various uh, definitions, attorney generals, comptrollers, that kind of thing. Everything else is local. Everything else.
0: That's so much.
1: As you think about like, where's the opportunity? I mean, first there's an obvious like supply and demand here. There's a lot of offices and we need more people to run for them. There's also a question of where can you actually make a difference? Um, If you think about the problem you want to solve, what is an office that will give you a space to solve it? Mm. For basically every problem that isn't foreign policy and even some that are, it's a little harder. Yeah. You can solve it in a more meaningful way faster uh, in a way that will more directly affect your community at a local level. Mm-hmm. And it is something that you could realistically run for and win as a 20 or 30 or 40 something who isn't a zillionaire, who isn't independently wealthy, who doesn't come from money, who maybe doesn't have political experience. So pragmatically, it is much more feasible to run for local office. You can right. then run for something higher, um, but I think it is... It is both politically practically um and f- based on impact, the place where it's to actually focus on start. it's also where sustainable power comes from yeah. you when know, you think about who yeah. writes the rules, who draws the maps, uh, who determines who can vote on the federal level, it starts at the state level it's it's state start, yeah it's, city council yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, I think that you know when you're able it's what I thought was so beautiful in your instruction is is you're making each step digestible. And, and it feels like I, I literally me, even someone like me, Maxie, someone who doesn't plan on running for politics. I was like, oh, if I ever got so fucking fired up, this is a perfect blueprint of where to start. Like it just, like knowledge is power. And, you know, it was, it, it is that blueprint. And one of the the things I was thinking about in relation to that with you specifically is, you know, how did some of, you know, what you were laying out in the book, in Run for Something, how has that affected how you are supporting your business? You are supporting all of these candidates. What does it feel like for you to move from a life of campaigning to a, a life of scaled campaigning, sort of? Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways, it's very similar, Run for something is our campaign, and I'm yeah. always trying to further the cause of the campaign. And we're not winning votes, but we are trying to raise money, get volunteers, and recruit candidates. So in the same way, we have lists of people we want to talk to, and ways that we want to talk to them, and a deadline which we need to talk to them by. Um, so the mechanics are shockingly similar. Similar, yeah. And I think the the other piece here is having worked on campaigns and thinking about really like how does a campaign organizational culture Mm -hmm. come about as we built a business we really wanted to be intentional my co-founder and i about building something that could last campaigns are not meant to last campaigns are sprints to a full stop on election day or whenever votes are counted Uh, our organization is very intentionally meant to be as long-term as we can fund it for so we're trying to think like how do we build process that, that lasts? How do we hire yeah. people that are going to stick around? Can we fund this for the long term? Yeah. Um, so it's it's a bit of a mind shift in that sense. It also means things like, how do we have work-life balance? Or work-life? I, I mean, that's what I was going to ask is, you yeah. about.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about the, what does sustainability look like for you, Amanda? Because one of the... I mean, I just had to sort of take a breath reading about your stories of how many hours and how tired to the bone you were, and how much you gave, especially Hillary's campaign and every campaign that you've been a part of, all of you. Mm-hmm. And to your point, those campaigns are not meant to be sustainable. So has it been hard to not go there with your own business and let it be your own, like give it 150% and then you have a kidney infection and your relationships Mm -hmm. are suffering? And what has that transition looked like?
1: It Run for Something is almost four years old. It'll be four in January. And I would say it took me the first two and a half years to get out of the, the feeling that if I wasn't working hundred hours a week, I wasn't working hard enough. Yeah. Um, and if like, if I took the time to, to see a friend, to go on vacation, to have a life, that that was, that was actually a good thing because that allowed the work to be sustainable. And I want right. this to be sustainable because the mission needs it to be sustainable. Um, it was hard, it's still hard. And yeah. I still like, I love work. And that's the other part is I actually really love what I do. It is still a job it's a dream job but it's still a job it's still labor it's still hard and sometimes micro level it's miserable but macro level I am so fucking lucky I have the best job in politics how do I remember that just because I love it doesn't mean I need to do it from when I open my eyes to when I close them
0: (laughs) and how do you answer that because please tell us
1: (laughs) you know i over the last four years run for something's always been remote. So I've been working from home now for four years. I'm not in my home. You're like, this is, <laughs> this is not, <laughs> this is not the roof is not normal. I wish it was. Um, so part of that is building really strong routines about yeah. how I structure my day. So like I make my bed every morning. I don't work in bed most of the day. Um, I'm pretty rigorous about exercising basically every day for at least forty five minutes or an hour of some type. Amazing. Um, yeah. I read so I read too much. You read love books. I really books. love books. Books are good. Um so I read a lot. Um it also helps I have a really good partner who yeah. just like doesn't work in politics, so it allows me to have a space for we talk. We talk about things that aren't politics, which yeah. is really nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because I can imagine in some of your stories about, you know, dating somebody in the office and your yeah. friends are so you don't have any time for anything. That's not that. But then it also becomes very almost self-fulfilling of like it becomes your whole life because it is your whole life. But now you have a a sort of new whole life, which I can't believe four years is almost has Mm -hmm. almost gone by. And I know this year, so, you know, we're talking to women who are doing their best this year because it's really probably all any of us can do. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm, I'm wondering for you, what have been the particular challenges of this pandemic, of this year, of the racial justice movement, Um, not only on your personal life, but on the way that you've had to look at or look differently at supporting your business and supporting all of these candidates.
1: So the week before Potential the pandemic, candidates. <laughs> the week before the pandemic hit, I had gone on my on vacation. Um, my fiance, my parents, and my sister and I went. We are in Barcelona, and the Wednesday that uh, Trump gave that speech about like we're going to shut down travelers from Europe, and it was the day the NBA canceled. It was like two AM in Barcelona, and we woke up because my phone was blowing up saying, "Hey, are you going to be able to get home?" Oh, I was like, hmm, what an interesting question. I
0: <laughs> hope so. <laughs> yeah, I was sleeping. Didn't know that was going to be an issue.
1: Cool. Um, so I remember it so vividly in part because I had this thinking realization of like, I was supposed to spend basically every week from when we got back from Spain, like I was supposed to get back from Spain on a Sunday and fly to LA on a Tuesday and basically be on the road every week from then until election day traveling, meeting with candidates, go doing events, fundraising. It's like, okay, that's not going to happen. Our fundraising is going to dry up because we're not doing events and we're not doing meetings. Um, we're not going to be able to uh, raise as much money because this is going to cause an economic mm-hmm. recession. Mm-hmm. And so very quickly that vacation became a very stressful yeah. uh, European like thinking event. About,
0: thinking about like, everything wow. that was about to become hard.
1: What is going to happen to our organization? So, I'm really proud of the Run for Something team who was so nimble in our budget. We we scaled back expenses, we were really thoughtful about what we were doing. Our events team quickly put together what I think are some of the best in class political uh, virtual events. Um, We've been able to actually find ourselves mostly financially stable at this point. Amazing. It's really amazing. Yeah. The compounding layer of the pandemic plus the racial protests, which were beautiful and Mm -hmm. so desperately needed and devastatingly sad and, you know, all of those things at the same time, I think also reinforced why our mission is so important. Um, you know, the pandemic and the protests and the violence against Black lives, much of it stems from either a, fe- a failing federal leadership that supported, right. that, that clearly identified the need for better local leadership on the pandemic side and failing local leadership that clearly wasn't holding police departments accountable on the racial exactly. justice side. And yeah. either way, the answer is how can we focus more on getting better people into these local offices? Because on both fronts, it is so obvious how much it matters, not just that mm-hmm. we elect Democrats, but which Democrats we're electing and why we have to focus not just on Congress, but on city councils, right. on school boards, on the people that are deciding whether our kids are going to school this week or next week. Yeah those are the elected officials that I want to care more about, and that I hope more people give a shit about.
0: Love what you're hearing? Well, you get to really dive in by joining the 10-week collective, where you'll be put into small groups that meet every week for the entire season, led by one of our brilliant woman-on leaders. They're so brilliant, you're going to love them. We break down the episode themes together every week. We discuss we learn from each other. It's seriously so fun. And there's some super cozy merch that's exclusive to the collective. That's the woman on world we hope. We really hope that you'll join us. Now, let's get back to the combo. When you like when you tell that that narrative, which isn't a narrative, it's a truth. Mm-hmm. It's it's very compelling, especially given the context of this year. Has your audience of donors have people who are thinking that they potentially want to run. Have they, have you seen a shift of that same understanding?
1: So we have now uh, uh, recruited more than 62,000 young people to run for office since we launched three and a half years ago. The best part about that number is nearly 20,000 of them have come in since middle of May. Whoa. Like the, the surge in people. Who said, I'm wow, seeing a problem and I want to jump in to solve it is one, well, it's terrifying because what an incredible responsibility we have to still be <laughs> here for them. Amanda, the, <laughs> good you know, luck. Like, Godspeed. Is, it's what gives me hope. You know, one of the big yeah. fears in 2017, 2018 was that, is this something we could sustain beyond Trump? Was the number yeah. of people signing up to say they want to run for office entirely spurred in reaction to the president? And the answer is quite obviously no. What it says is that he has deeply lowered the bar on who can actually engage in the political process. So maybe the only tiny silver lining that I wish we never yeah. had. But the, the people who are signing up now, it's not in reaction to him. It's yeah. not. And, and it's something that really gives me hope. The other thing that gives me hope is how many people have come to us in the last six months, the last year, and said, I'm coming to you because I saw someone you helped who looked like me. I saw someone like you helped Danica Rome win for state legislature in 2017, the first openly trans state lawmaker in the country. Then Brianna Titone came to us and said, you helped Danica. Can you help me too? Mm. A year later, she's the first openly trans lawmaker in Colorado. 18 months after that, Taylor Small is the first openly trans lawmaker in Vermont. Earlier um, this fall, Sarah McBride becomes the first openly trans lawmaker in Delaware. Like the, it's a snowball and it's going to keep on so the mountain and collecting more and more people who are going to break history together. You know, the first think mm-hmm. like Kamala says this too, the first is never the last. And that's really cool. It's really yep. cool.
0: And it reminds, you know, it, it reminds me of what you said at the beginning of this conversation, you know, just around how important representation mm-hmm. is because you can't be what you don't see, or at least it becomes a lot easier when you can see it and, and that snowball effect does does go into play. Now, I totally understand the pressure of scale, of getting what you want, right? You now have 20,000 more people than you did before May, which on one hand is so beautiful. And on the other hand, I wonder for you as a leader, during a pandemic, during the 9 million pivots you and your co-founder and you as a human had to create, did you start to see any narratives in your own head or any any emotional challenges for your, that you have, have been having to work through because of, because of these changes, even even though they're net probably positive?
1: For us, the big thing is the known unknowns, which is a phrase I wish Donald Rumsfeld hadn't invented, because it's really useful. Um was like there's gonna be an election There's no idea what's gonna happen, and you could imagine a world in which joe biden wins and the democratic universe especially of donors and i think really on the funding side says cool game over we're done job done like turn off the spigots you could also imagine a world in which joe biden wins and they realize okay it's now really important to recommit to local office the flip of that is you can imagine a world in which trump wins and all the donors have been newly engaged say fuck it this wasn't worth like we failed we can't do this and fly off into the sunset. Right. Or they say Trump wins. Trump- we have a responsibility yeah. to elect local electors who will be the first line of defense. Mm. Any of those options are equally possible. You yeah. know, I'm sure it's not how statistics work, but you know what I mean.
0: <laughs> In my world of statistics and math, it works just fine. You
1: know, any you could see any of them. They're all plausible. Yeah. So as we think about what does the future look like for the organization, I am more confident than ever that there is a need that we are filling. And mm. that we have a responsibility to be here. And I am mostly optimistic or cautiously optimistic that we'll be able to raise the funds and keep the organization going. You know, we're yeah. in a good place now. We still have like a $400,000 budget gap to fill before the end of the year. How can we ensure that we're both doing that and staying here because we have a responsibility to them? Yeah. Yeah. Which is I, I take that very seriously. Yeah,
0: it, I mean, it. it is why, you know, that that responsibility to me sounds so hand in hand with the word sustainability, which you've, you know, you've used multiple times, because it is, it is true, like, it's, it's something that can be, um, you know, even in, in the racial justice movement that we've been seeing, that's a lot of that conversation, too, is how can we be all be involved in this in a sustainable way, not just in the month of June, and you know it's it is a lot of the conversations that that we are having here is how do we continue to do our best and keep going and talk to you know even in this time of pain who are the people that are creating major bright spots and leveraging what they have like you in order to you know in order to change um, yeah. because change has not been easy and. For you, the change from campaigning to this, (laughs) this wild business, uh, business podcast, author uh, life, have you found um, that you are still very tapped into the community of, of people that, you know, that you were so close and embedded with on the campaigns? Like, what is your own personal community look like? Has it had to shift in order to do something different?
1: You know, part of the joy of working on campaigns, I know I talk about this in the book, is you you get to make friends that really are the only ones who will understand what that's like. Um, (laughs) I did a road trip last night from New York to Cape Cod, where I currently am, and we're listening to Stay Awake, a Broadway playlist, because I love Broadway. (laughs) And at one point, we were listening to that song from Book of Mormon that was like... how you like turn it off. You put your feelings in a box, you squash it. And I was trying to explain to my fiance. I was like, this is how we used to say this to each other in 2016 all the time. Like you take your feelings, you put them in a box, you you crush it. (laughs) Like that's, it's not as funny as you think it is. It's pretty sad. (laughs) It's like, that's sort of sad and dark, but I get it. But like that understanding of how hard it is, is something that builds lifelong friendships. And it's the it's the best part of working on a campaign. It's something that breaks my heart for the people who are working on campaigns now because it's really hard to do that work without the in-person proximity people. that makes it fun yeah. and that builds community. So yeah. My heart breaks for them.
0: Yeah. It's it just, we do, we need our people and Zoom can only get us so far. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, in your, in in the moments of pivot, in the moments of pandemic, have you had any people that have reached out to you? One of the things that we like to ask our guests is the most recent pep text message, email that you've gotten that has just kind of like been the message you needed in the moment. Do you have one of those to share with us?
1: Um, I had a rough week a couple weeks ago and my, one of my good group of girlfriends who worked with me in 2016 and some of them worked with me back in 2012, I've known for many years, sent me flowers, which mm-hmm. is actually better than a text because it Isn't brightens it? up my kitchen and sits next to my computer with a, like, a little note yeah. like, keep going, you're saving democracy. Yeah. And it's so cheesy and so silly. But also it really makes it makes my day and it was very That's nice cool. and very appreciated. Yeah. Um, and it's something that my friend groups of various forms have sort of cultivated as like a community of sending presents yeah Uh, even cheap ones we used to send each other care packages on campaigns of like here's some coloring books and some gummy bears and also like a six pack of beer enjoy
0: I've been hearing from a lot of people that you know the challenges of this year are hitting us at different times it's kind of like a wave comes out of nowhere and you're like I'm handling this I'm pivoting I'm I'm doing fine and then I'm like fucking not I am not doing fine
1: and I will say that the time I noticed my community the most was actually during the Democratic convention. The mm. night, I'm gonna like cry again. The night that Kamala accepted the vice presidential nomination, it was like ladies' night. And I basically woke up that morning and started crying and basically cried like every hour and then spent the entire convention, like just gulping, sobbing, and realizing, like, oh, I actually haven't resolved the trauma of losing an election four years ago, yeah. as it turns out. Cool. Yeah. And reaching all out to still my here. Friends, yeah reaching out to my friends who worked on the 2016 campaign and basically every last one to a T was like oh yeah I feel ter- I like I couldn't watch I've been sobbing all day I feel like, I'm like oh, you. yeah I don't want to say it's like um I mean for some people it's like PTSD it's mm-hmm. you go through something so hard and then you just are expected to move on and how do you how do you move on from failing to accomplish your life stream you don't. <laughs>
0: It, it it doesn't always work like that, and yeah. you know, I found when I was reading about your own experience that night leaving Javits and you know being in a cab with a friend and having to yeah. literally pull over and puke, it. I just, I, you know, we all have our own version of what that story was the next day, but none of us have the version of the story where we worked for two years and 100 hours a week and, and just what that, what that is like, in terms of that loss, but for you, one of the things that you are often talking about is how powerful a loss can be Mm -hmm. in terms of changing your community at a local level and not to compare the two because I know Mm -hmm. they're very, very different. Um, But I do think that that is something important to hear. And I want to know what are the changes that we do make because we could even say this with Hillary, like she changed so much by, mm-hmm. by doing and all of you doing what what she did and what you all did. And so, you know, when we get into the game to run, um, to mm-hmm. consider running, what is the power of of losing? What does it do?
1: Well, if you think about a campaign as not just a, a force towards Election Day, although that's obviously the most important part, it's also a galvanizing entity for a community. Um, the people who show up to volunteer and, you know, in the before times knock doors and now make calls, and texts, engage. Um, the people who donate, people you talk to who may have never talked to someone running for office before and never felt like their voices were heard. You know, that is the democratic process. Yes. <laughs> I. And when I see people marching and protesting and yelling, this is what democracy looks like. I'm like, yeah, that is what democracy looks like. It it. also looks like people knocking doors and making calls and talking to voters. Like that's also democracy. And we should do more of that too. Yeah, Um, And it makes me so mad. Uh, (laughs) I do, I think when you think about losing, it's how did you change the conversation and how do you look beyond election day and to a cycle or two cycles or four cycles? How did the loss from 10 years ago build to the victory today one of my favorite things i've been doing over the last six months maybe not favorite is that reading some of the, like more modern like history from like two years ago or four years ago or even 10 years ago in part because when you take even the slightest bit removal it's mm. really helpful to see how little the day-to-day matters <laughs> and i find that to be very soothing i read um firsts which was like about all the women that were elected to congress in 2018 i read a bunch of these in part because i talked to a lot of the journalists who yeah um, and each one, it's like, oh, in that moment, I remember the campaign cycle being like, this is going to be the scandal. This is going to be the thing that breaks them down. But, you know, even a year removed, what actually stands out? Yeah. Very little. Yeah. Um, so that's really helpful in maintaining some perspective about both the wins and the losses.
0: Yeah. What, I I love when we're able to come above our own situation or, you know, post-2016. How does reading those stories affect how you're thinking about like maybe a hard week last week running this business. Does it, does it pull you out of it a little bit more by just knowing like this is going to be a star in the many constellations of the sky, even though it feels like a fucking sun right now.
1: Yeah. It's helpful to maintain perspective of like grand scheme of things is this the, the thing that's going to make or break it? You know, in some ways you don't know what will be the make or break moment, yeah. but most of the time you can tell. Yeah. Uh, and that's really helpful just to like step yeah. outside yourself for a moment. And the arc of history is long, as they say, and uh, very little of the things we argue about online will affect it. <laughs>
0: Okay. Can we talk about that arguing online? Because one, one thing that I am finding more and more as the years pass is less and less dialogue, um, mm-hmm. or space for conversation. And as someone, you know, for you, you've worked on democratic campaigns, but you also say in your book, and I get that this was, you know, a few years ago, you know, if you're a Republican going for office, like you know there is also there's tools here it's not even though you know run for something is about progressive candidates and and progressives running how do you handle or have you noticed that there is less space for conversation it's like if you're not 1 million percent as woke as i am in san francisco or in brooklyn or if you're not 1 million percent as whatever as i am then there is no space to talk, but dialogue is what shifts things. And I, I want to know how you're handling that because it's very sh- much showing up in my life.
1: So I think there's a difference between sort of Democrat and Republican conversation mm-hmm. and intra-Democrat conversation. Um, using party alignment as sort of a shortcut for value systems yeah. here. You know, Democrat versus Republican, that's really hard. I can't fundamentally have a conversation with someone that doesn't see the humanity in women or people of color or LGBTQ people. Like Mm -hmm. there's, we're not aligned on basic facts. So there's Mm -hmm. no, there's no argument. It's just like two separate universes. Um, And that's really hard. That's not true of every Republican, certainly, but it is at this point, if you are voting for Republican elected official, you are saying that you are okay with a certain kind of value system and policies. And like, I can't, I can't get on board with that. Be there that. with you. When did that
0: become, when did it become that?
1: I think um, it was certainly before Trump. You would probably say it starts in the Tea Party in 2010 mm-hmm. and and Trump gives space for it to no longer be shameful or no longer be so secretive. Okay. Um, and I think that's, there's it's worth reading Ezra Klein's book on how we get so polarized. It's very good. It's interesting um it probably starts around then but the country's also off been pretty polarized and there's like a bunch of factors that play in here and i think a big part of it is the death of local media the social media algorithms that mm-hmm. encourage extremism uh, you know the gerrymandering that leads to further polarization within primaries so, there's a whole bunch of reasons there's so but like, much yeah there's so much you know as i think about the intra-democratic party sort of disagreements and dialogue i have to remind myself a lot that the conversation online is just um the two loudest voices and that when you actually have these conversations in person with, or you know over the phone or over text yeah. or whatever it's a very different tenor um that some people treat twitter as their group chat and others do not and you can really tell who falls into which camp <laughs>
0: right
1: um, i i have been very mad online lately about, <laughs> about uh campaigns knocking doors. I, one of the stances that I run for something has taken this year is that candidates shouldn't knock doors. It's a global pandemic. It's dangerous. Any organization that has done so has mm. had to bring people back because they get sick. Like you can't guarantee you're not knocking on someone's door who isn't quarantining. Mm. You know, there's any number of reasons. And there are other ways to accomplish the same goals on a campaign. You know, as we talk about in the book and I've talked about on the podcast, like you can do it in the same way. And I was ranting at my fiance about this and like people on Twitter are getting so dumb. And, da, da, da. and he was like, have you considered not being mad online? Like, I, As someone who's not bad online, that's a very helpful perspective. I have not considered it. Thank you for that feedback.
0: Uh, have you considered just maybe not? <laughs> just like,
1: don't be mad online. Like I, But I am mad and I am yeah. online.
0: <laughs> yeah, and those two things go together. Yeah. What does it look like in your, you know, if in a non-pandemic world or a group FaceTime when you... When you are having conversations, you know, inter-democratic conversations, what is, what do the disagreements among your own friends look like? How do you, how do you open that di- dialogue, keep space for that dialogue, even as it relates to the the many amounts of people and their vast perspectives that, you know, that your business is supporting?
1: Well, it's interesting among my friends, because basically all of my friends who are talking on a very regular basis work in politics. So the yeah. perspective they have on these conversations actually directly relates to their professional work, which then affects the outcome of elections. So it's it's not hypothetical, it's not theoretical. Um which makes the tenor of the conversation sometimes a little tricky because I'm, if I disagree with you, I'm not just disagreeing with you personally. I'm disagreeing with your profession or your chosen, your organization. So your conversations turns. are hard. <laughs> yeah. But also like we, and this is a thing I have to remind myself often is that you, you are where you work and what you believe are not They are often in alignment and they're usually in alignment, but that doesn't, it isn't all of who you are. And you can, you can contain multitudes as they say. Um, So having, keeping that in mind, as I talk with folks who work in the professional and professional politics and professional movement building, um, that is really useful. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And we're, we're just so much more than our, our least common identity or, or, perspective. Um, so for you and the the wild journey that you have been on, another one of our favorite things to do uh, is to ask our guests to show us a couple photos uh, mm-hmm. of a time that maybe was not that great. You were feeling a bit lost. You didn't know how things were going to end up. So I'm going to flash a couple photos here real quick. And I want you first just to tell me, How old is this little
1: Amanda? Oh, she's probably 11. She's 11. 11. What's going on here with the brace? So I was a gymnast growing up. Um, I was also uh, very injury prone. And starting when I was 11, I dislocated my knee. And I basically spent at least a couple weeks off in a month or more a year from when I was 11 until I was 18 on crutches. I, oh, God. I had surgeries. I like it was just looking at me much. And then I proceeded, as I mentioned, we'll get to it in a moment, to do it again when I turned okay. 21, 22, 25, so 27. They, the, so getting to this, tell me about, so, yeah, where so are we? Is, What's going on? This is outside the Northwestern Memorial Emergency Room on New Year's Day 2017. So after <sighs> six weeks, after eight weeks after losing the election, I'd flew out to, New, to Chicago to see my best friend for New Year's Eve. Uh, We're dancing in his apartment in the living room and I fall down and dislocate my knee and go to the emergency room where I'm pretty sober at this point. My friend is the drunkest person there by far. (laughs) Um, Everyone is wearing glitter and sparkles and I am just in my Hillary sweatshirt. So sad. Um, And I was like, this is 2017 in a nutshell. I'm starting the year on crutches. My hair is a weird color because I dyed it lobster red (laughs) in a post-campaign freakout. Um, I have, no I feel like that's a really holds. good coping mechanism is to dye your hair lobster red. Just, when life gives you lemons, dye your hair, whatever color you can think of. Dye it
0: red and dance in the living room. Okay. Yes. If you could give that Amanda advice, right? That's an Amanda that's three plus years ago. What are you, what are you telling her? Does she have any idea, you know, of what's ahead?
1: She doesn't, but I, I think one of the things I am most both proud of and is probably one of my greatest flaws, which is you know, the two sides of the, the same shadow. Chain, oh, every strength uh, casts its shadow. Yeah. Is um I can make things happen through sheer force of will. And that is sometimes means steamrolling people, and that sometimes means not always asking permission, but asking forgiveness oh. later. But that also means I created an organization and wrote a book and run a podcast and not only healed my knee and then had surgery, but was able to run and lift weights and like can mm. can decide that I want things to be a certain way and then make it a reality. Yeah. And that is, I'm really proud of that ability. And I sometimes get frustrated when, you know, when someone will say to me, well, I want to do X, Y, Z. It's like, why don't you just do it? Do just, it. Just, just, just do, do it. What's up with you? Just do it. And yeah. that is that is both a strength and a weakness. But I think I, I, when I think back to how I felt on New Year's Day 2017, I just... it'll be okay little me your hair will grow out (laughs) my color will fade
0: you'll learn out your own
1: bangs
0: (laughs) it is it's it's always so amazing to me how much can happen in so little time even though you know the days feel long and sometimes even the years feel long it's like look at you know look at what you what you have created and what you did that year what you've created in three plus years um but I do understand you know the sentiment that you just, you create your reality, you just do it, you just make it. And how that can be frustrating when other people don't probably see, like you could literally change your town by getting involved or by actually running for a local office. What about the people who think, Or just know, whether it's from, you know, listening to your blueprints or reading them, um, listening to this, uh, like, that's probably not actually me, even though it could be, I know that it could be, but it's probably not the right fit. What are the other places, and you did this so well in your book, like, like spreadsheets, like, da, 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 like really into numbers as a financial model, just like, I mean, you didn't say any of this. This is my, my take on it. Then Thanks you could probably be doing X, Y, and Z. And there are a lot of different buckets where you could really create change without having to run for office. Can you tell us a little bit about those? If, if people are feeling especially pumped right now and may not think that running is right for them.
1: I would highly encourage you to find a local campaign and volunteer your special skills. Um, you can do so on Run for Something's website by sending up as a mentor or just finding a candidate through our candidate directory um, and reaching out to them directly. Mm-hmm. You know, the I say this candidly, the Biden campaign probably doesn't need your help as a policy expert, probably doesn't need your help building websites. I mean, they might <laughs> offer, but a uh, school board candidate. Absolutely does. Yeah. A city council candidate absolutely does. You will get to be a big fish in a small pond and you'll get to know the candidate personally or the, the mm-hmm. campaign manager personally. It's a really good way to, to build relationships. Um, you say you don't want to run for office today. That may not be true a couple of years from now. So why not get to know people? And, right. And yeah. Like build,
0: it, yeah. And also those relationships change so much of, of what we think is possible for, yeah. for ourselves and our future. Are you ever going to
1: run for something? I have the best job in politics right now, and until that no longer I'm is the true, we'll we'll see how that goes. Okay,
0: but. you know, in being in politics, I'm sure you know the you've worked for some
1: huge,
0: you've done you've done massive, amazing, incredible things um, in the yeah. campaigns that you you've worked for, and I'm sure people, you know, we we love to talk and and need to talk about the challenges of of women in politics, but. I'm sure having worked for Hillary, having, you know, been a part of of what you've been a part of in your past, people are probably always asking you, what was it like working for Hillary? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious, do you have different questions that come to you or they phrase differently or do you notice a difference in how they ask you about Hillary versus how they might ask you about your experience with the Obama
1: campaign? People assume that everything we did for Hillary was wrong, that the And I think that this is a really important distinction, both we've seen this in 2018, it's true in 2016, it's going to be true for the foreseeable future. The execution of the campaign and the outcome of the campaign are connected, but one does not directly relate to the other. One does not directly Mm. cause the other. Uh, Good campaigns lose, bad campaigns win. I think a lot about how some of the men that ran both in 2016 and 2020 who lost were deemed to have still run great campaigns the women who lost were deemed to have run bad ones um, that is uh, I, I smell it <laughs> i see it i know what you're doing um so i i do i think that is like the the assumption that we were idiots yeah. and that she was a bad candidate it's like we certainly didn't do everything right uh, she certainly wasn't perfect she's human no candidate is perfect and mm-hmm. you know going up against 30 years of gop oppo against her and a foreign country interfering and a decade of republican voter suppression that was built on a decade of a, of democratic failure to invest in local office you know all yeah. of these compounded to make it hard yeah to make it hard and, you and even tell- now even now my friends who work for biden will occasionally show me charts or convey like the conversation online, still one of the most negative conversation topics is about Hillary Clinton. Still. It, it, it still. was really hard to love Hillary Clinton in 2016. It is, the, the data does not lie. It,
0: it just is. The, oh, the patriarchy yeah. is, is just. It hurts us all, you know? Yeah, it, it really does. It, it hurts everybody swimming in that water. Um, that's so interesting how you can tell the internalized sexism that lives inside of the way a question is framed of, I've never never thought about that, but I, I imagined you probably got very different questions about the two and, and that is one of them. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you talk about the cycle of elections and we are obviously weeks away from a very large, um, very important, election happening. Mm -hmm. If someone is just now hearing this, whether no matter what happens in a few weeks, there will hopefully be, you know, people who are looking for additional change to be a part of the change happening, to be a part of the aftermath, whatever it ends up being. Um, We all hope that it goes one very specific way, but where is the next opportunity uh, for people to run for something, for them to get involved? Should they start right now? What does that, what what that timeline look like?
1: It is never too early to start thinking about running for office. Um, if you go to runforwhat.net, you can enter your address. We will help you figure out what offices are available to you in 2021. Great. Some of these filing deadlines are going to come up real quick. Uh, so it's not, it's not too early. It's also not too late. Um, it's also enough to start thinking about 2022. You know, hopefully there will still be a functioning democracy. Um, so think about what you want to run for think about the problems you want to solve And this is the place where getting involved with the local campaigns now can help lay the groundwork for that It's not the only reason to do it But it is one of the reasons to do it and that when you engage locally You'll get to know the people who work in your community And if you decide to run eventually those are the people you're going to wish you had known uh, if you hadn't
0: build it now build it now. Um, Mm -hmm. awesome. Thank you for those resources when we look at who is running or who's going to be running, uh, who is a woman on the rise that is someone that woman on should should know and be supporting?
1: Okay, I'll give you two. Um, Jennifer Carroll Foy. Jennifer Carroll Foy is a House of Delegates member of Virginia. She won in 2017 during her campaign. She gave birth to twins. Uh, she flipped a seat red to blue. She helped pass Medicaid expansion. She helped ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, she's now running for governor. If she wins in 2021, she'll be the first Black woman governor in America. Um, I interviewed her for the first episode of It William Was Horses Incredible. I was like, Yes, she's
0: everyone go listen to that episode.
1: And <laughs> um, the second is an incredible state rep in Florida named uh, Anna Eskamani. Anna is Iranian American, a former parenth- parenthood staffer, a twin. She's based outside Orlando. She flipped the seat red to blue in 2018. Uh, she is just so fierce she is giving Ron DeSantis, the governor every ounce of shit that he deserves and then some she is literally fighting personally for each one of her constituents unemployment checks um i am trying my hardest to convince her to run for governor as well and if i succeed you will see her in 2022
0: you're just you're the queen maker you are (laughs) thank you for the work that you are doing we are we are very grateful um not only for what you're putting out into the world but how digestible you make change seem by you know us Thank stepping you. to yeah into that arena so I'll finish here what are you batshit grateful for on this on this day
1: um I am batshit grateful for my dog for my sunshine uh for the ability to do this work like I can't believe how lucky I am that I have this as a job it is so hard it's so hard um, but it also such a privilege to, like basically every night this week, we've had run for something events where I've gotten to talk to some of our candidates and it is the most inspiring thing to talk to people who are really doing the damn thing. We're doing and it. They're doing it. And I mean, like, how could you not feel hopeful when people like them care enough to change their lives to change the world?
0: Well, you tell them for us, we are, we are also so grateful and, and we're thankful for you putting, uh, putting that support behind so many people who, you know, it all, it all cycles back to supporting us. So thank you for that. And is there anything that we should know that is coming up where we could support you in any other way?
1: If you are listening to this, you're the kind of person who should run for office. So make sure to sign up on our website. Um, You're also the kind of person who should probably support other people running for office. So donate, volunteer, anything you can do, whether it's your time, money, or your talent, makes a difference for us. So
0: On it. We are on it. All right. Well, Woman On. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you.
1: Woman On with Maxi McCoy is a Woman On production. Maxi McCoy is your
0: host. Your executive producers and creators are Maxi McCoy and Lisa Raphael. Teresa Wright is our technical producer, video editor, and audio producer. Social media from Women On is brought to you by Betty Jean Bowles. Hi, puppy. Come say can hi to the, come the come camera. Come here,
1: come here. Can you come up here? No. He's like,
0: I want to lay down. I'm tired. <laughs> it would have been too good, Amanda. It would have been too, too good. Too good. If you're anything like me, you love listening to inspiring stories, but then there always is this little little letdown at the end of a show because it's sort of like, well, now what? How do I put anything into action that I've just heard? Well, at Woman On, we're here to solve that. Each episode comes with a free worksheet that you can download to get dirty with all the wisdom and put
1: it in your own life. Just go to womanoncollective.com backslash worksheet.